Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, before we start the show today, I want to tell you about something brand new we're launching with our friends at Apple Podcasts called The Ongoing History of New Music Unlimited. For $3.49 a month, $3.49, which is less than the price of your morning coffee, you can now get access to the full archive of our shows ad-free. Plus, you'll get brand new episodes two days early and special bonus episodes. It's Ongoing History Unlimited, and it's available right now only on Apple Podcasts. Once upon a time, all music was sold to us on pieces of plastic. We had to travel through time and space to hand over hard-earned money to purchase those pieces of plastic. And there was a financial limit to the amount of plastic we could buy. Bloody things were expensive. Part of the reason they were expensive was because baked into the purchase price was our ability to listen to that music an infinite number of times without ever having to pay for it again. Unless, of course, you wore it out or damaged it or somehow lost it. It was hard to share this music, too. You could make a copy on tape, which took a long time. Later, you could burn a CD, which was quicker, but still took effort. And the ring of people with whom you could share something was fairly limited. Again, we're dealing with issues of time and space and physical product. What else can we say about the old days? Well, costs aside, our access to music was limited. We could only buy what was available in the store. And the store only stocked what it could acquire from a limited number of record labels. And only a very tiny percentage of people who made music had deals with record labels. In other words, the supply of music was severely constrained. That's another reason for the expense. There were many, many filters a song had to pass through before it even had a chance of landing in a record store. This created an artificial scarcity of music, and the channels through which you could access the little that was available was limited and tightly controlled. Wow, from where we are today, that sounds positively medieval, doesn't it? Now it's all about streaming, the ability to access virtually any song ever recorded from everywhere on Earth with just a few pokes at your phone. And the price? Free, or something very close to it. That's all most people know about how streaming works. But if you're listening to this program, you probably need to know a little bit more about what we've got ourselves into. Here's a deep dive into the whole business of streaming, part one. This is the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Welcome again. I'm Alan Cross. And before we get into this look of how streaming really works, Here's a track that, as of June 2021, has been streamed over 1 billion times just on Spotify. 
a billion times. That's a lot, right? Well, it depends. Linkin Park and In The End, one of the most streamed rock songs on Spotify. It has more than 1 billion streams itself, while the Hybrid Theory album has 2.7 billion as of June 2021. Okay, so how much does that actually mean in terms of cold hard cash? That's complicated. Payout numbers are very opaque and hard for people on the outside to estimate. There were so many factors involved some of which we'll get into a bit, but I'm going to say around $16 million from all those Linkin Park streams. Has all that flowed to the band? Well, we'll we'll get into those issues of payouts a little bit later on. Anyway, hang on back up. We're, we're way ahead of things. The whole business of streaming still is not very well understood by most people. The purpose of this program is to cover off as much as possible about how streaming works. In fact, my notes list 23 points that need to be covered. Okay, so here we go. Point number one, and it's some history. Streaming, as we know it, this all-you-can-eat buffet of music available for a monthly subscription fee, goes all the way back to a company called Rhapsody, which first went online on December 3rd, 2001. Over the next year, Universal, EMI, BMG, Warner, and Sony all joined up. Rhapsody still exists, too, but it now trades under the name Napster, The company bought the trademark in 2011 and rebranded in 2016. So this is the legitimate form of Napster. Point number two, most conversations about streaming involve Spotify because it has the most users and tends to share the most data with the public. We also hear a lot about Apple Music, Amazon Music, Tidal, YouTube Music, and Deezer. But those aren't all the streamers. There are about, and it changes from day to day, three dozen active companies operating around the world. For example, there's Enghami, which is based in Abu Dhabi and was the Arab world's first streaming music platform. Ghana is the biggest streaming company in India. They fight it out with a rival named Geosvan. Patari operates out of Lahore, Pakistan. KKBox is based in Taiwan. And China has several big streaming companies like QQ Music. There are also plenty of defunct services. You might remember Songza, Mog, Ardio, Xbox Music, and Slacker Radio. They all either ran out of money and shut down, rebranded, or bought by somebody else. Point number three, not everybody pays the same for streaming. Rates have to affect local currencies and local economic conditions. Let's look at Spotify, which is now available in about 170 countries. Here in Canada, we pay $9.99 a month. The U.S. pays $9.99 a month, but that's in American dollars, which is equivalent to $12 Canadian. They pay £9.99 in the UK. That's $17 Canadian. All right, so let's go further afield. In Egypt, a Spotify subscription will cost you about 50 Egyptian pounds. That's a little less than $4 Canadian. If you're in Japan, you're paying 980 yen per month. That's almost 11 Canadian. Over in Vietnam, Spotify costs you 59,000 dong. That's a shade over $3 in Canadian funds. And in India, it's 119 rupees, or $1.97 Canadian. That's for Spotify Premium, which means you get all the features. Which brings us to point four, free music. Some services, like Apple Music, won't let you listen to anything without paying a monthly fee. 
Spotify has something they call a freemium tier. No monthly subscription, but not all the features work, and you have to listen to a certain number of commercials every hour. Now, we need to discuss the whole freemium thing in a minute, but first, here's an album that's had 2.62 billion cumulative streams as of the summer of 2021. Lithium from Nirvana's Nevermind, a record closing in on 3 billion Spotify streams. Okay, let's continue with this list of 23 salient points about the business of streaming. Point five. Every streaming music service draws from the same library of digital tracks. With some exceptions, you can get just about any song you want on any platform you choose. And as I put the show together, the size of the available universe is around 90 million songs. Yeah, that's a lot. Point six, that number keeps growing. Spotify reported that in early 2021, 60,000 new tracks were being uploaded every single day. 60,000 new songs. That's 2.2 million a year. Who can keep up with that? Nobody. It's estimated that between 20 and 25% of all the songs in the Spotify library haven't been streamed even once. So that means, get this, 30 to 35 million songs, probably more, have been heard by exactly no one. There's even an app for that. You can sign into a site called Forgotify with your Spotify login, and you'll get a constant stream of songs that no one has ever heard before. Point seven, not all services deliver music in the same quality. The file formats differ from platform to platform. The majority use some kind of compression to save on data, but it's not always been clear about who uses what. It could be a stream of MP3s at 256 or 320 kilobytes per second. could be something like Apple's AAC, or increasingly services are offering some sort of lossless audio. This means offering files that haven't had any music information stripped out of them to make them smaller and thus easier and cheaper to transmit. This used to be something you had to pay for, but it's slowly becoming standard throughout the industry. The bad news is that this chews up your data plan a little more. But the good news is that you can now get music in CD or better than CD quality. Now, digest all that information as we listen to something from the Chili Peppers' Californication album. 2.2 billion streams on Spotify. Moving to point eight about the world of streaming. Which is more damaging to the environment? Streaming or the manufacture and distribution of plastic things like CDs and vinyl? The answer, believe it or not, is streaming. Back in 2017, there was a study in Norway. They did an energy audit of streaming. Although we're dealing with just a bunch of zeros and ones, it takes power to send this music around the planet. Downloading one gig of music data is roughly equivalent to running a regular light bulb for an hour. And those gigs add up. That also doesn't include the electricity needed for storage and processing in a data center. And those data centers suck up about 2% of the world's energy, not only to run, but to keep cool. Those figures also do not account for the energy needed to run our various music playing devices. 
And let's not talk about all the e-waste resulting from old devices that we no longer want. It has been calculated that streaming an album over the internet just 27 times will use more energy than it takes to produce and manufacture a single CD or vinyl record. So, let's say Spotify serves up 2.5 million simultaneous streams. And if the average album contains 12 tracks, that means almost 210,000 albums worth of music was streamed, using 8,000 times more energy than it took to make that one CD. The amount of greenhouse gases generated by the energy required to transmit music or streaming is up to 350 million kilograms a year. Meanwhile, if you buy a CD or an LP, it just sits there permanently. The only extra energy required is whatever you need to power your CD player or turntable. Just saying. If you want to do an energy audit on Metallica's Black Album, consider that songs from this record have been streamed at least 2.1 billion times, which is a lot of greenhouse gases. From a stream. Who knew, right? We'll pick things up with point number nine of 23 things about streaming in just a second. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is a program that takes a careful look at how the world of streaming works. Most music fans don't ever think of this stuff because streaming is just so easy and cheap and ubiquitous. Point number nine has to do with music piracy. Before streaming took off towards the end of the aughts, millions of people were stealing music, file sharing, torrents, bootlegs, and that kind of thing. But when streaming came along, the amount of piracy dropped drastically. Why bother going through the hassle of stealing something, you know, with incomplete files and the risk of viruses and drop downloads and being obligated to seed sites, missing or correct metadata, when you can simply be assured of high-quality music from streams. Now, streaming hasn't exactly killed piracy entirely. There are always people who are going to, you know, stick with their old ways. And there's also an issue called stream ripping, where people record songs from streams. But for the most part, piracy is nowhere near the problem it once was. And while CD sales continue to drop, they're not dropping quite as fast as they once were. I don't know if you can take any consolation in that, but anyway, there you go. This is sort of connected to point 10. When we were still in the file sharing era, the average annual spend of a North American music fan was somewhere around $45. That's how much you spent on music. Now, with hundreds of millions of people paying for streaming, they're paying at least $120 a year, you know, $9.99 a month. So there's money coming in. Which leads me to this. We're about to get into the whole thing surrounding payouts from the various music platforms. First, though, here's a track from Panic! at the Disco's Pray for the Wicked. Two billion streams for this album. Now let's get into the real business of streaming, specifically who has to pay 
and who gets paid what and when. We'll call this point 10. We've all heard how musicians say that they're getting paid a pittance by streamers, but that needs to be put into perspective. Comparing streams and physical sales is an apples and oranges thing. There are two different things entirely. For a stream, an artist is paid a fraction of a cent every time a single person listens to one of their songs once. That's a fraction of a cent per listen. We'll get into those fractions in just a bit. When someone buys a recording, be it physical or digital, they're buying the ability to listen to that recording an infinite number of times without paying any additional costs. The artist gets a piece of the wholesale price of that recording, and that piece is negotiated as part of the artist's contract with the record label. Okay, for the sake of argument, let's say that each album sold, and after all costs have been deducted, an artist receives a dollar. So you sell a million CDs, and that's a million dollars in earnings from that album. Really easy to understand. But let's remember that even before streaming, selling a million copies of anything was hard. Now let's say you have an album on Spotify, and you see that the songs on that album have been cumulatively streamed a million times. So that's the equivalent of a million people listening to one of those songs just once. Okay? A million streams means a million people listen to one of those songs once. Big difference between selling a million copies of an album and that, right? A better comparison is with a song that's played on the radio. Radio stations have to pay a performing rights fee on a regular basis for the privilege of using music as part of their business model. How much they pay is determined by how much the station is earning by selling commercials and the country in which that radio station operates. In Canada, for example, all commercial radio stations pay at least three types of performing rights fees. The money comes from pre-tax, pre-expense revenue. It's a line item in the operating budget. These performing rights fees are gathered by organizations called collectives, and they are responsible for making sure the right artists get paid the right amounts for the use of their music on the radio. If you have one song played on the radio once and a million people hear it all at the same time, you get paid a little bit out of the funds gathered by the collectives. Now let's consider that statement again. If your song is played on the radio one time and is heard by a million people all at once, you're reaching the same number of people as if one song was heard by a million people at different times through a stream. And the amount of money you get from that one play on the radio is very, very small, maybe a fraction of a cent. But if you have a hit and more and more radio stations start playing your song more and more, those little fees add up. Same with the stream. It's just that when compared to sales, the numbers required to make some serious cash are much, much bigger. Selling a million CDs is a lot. And like I said, it's hard. If you do that, you've got a big hit record. Having a song streamed a million times sounds like a lot, but it's not. And it gets weirder. We'll get to that. First, though, here's a track from an album that's been streamed about 1.8 billion times. The song also has over a billion streams just on YouTube. It's System of Down and Chop Suey. Wake up! Wake up! So how much can you earn from streaming your song? That is complicated. We need to understand a bunch of things before we can go any further. And this is all part of point 11. 
The streaming platforms don't pay out fractions of a cent for each song play because they're greedy and because they're mean. At the risk of grossly oversimplifying things, what the streamers pay is the result of long and hard negotiations with the people who hold the rights to the songs. This means record labels and publishers. They want the streamers to pay as much as possible for the right to use their music. Makes sense. The streamers also have to adhere to rulings by a country's local copyright board over how much this kind of use is worth. Spotify, which gets a lot of heat for low payouts, is really paying what they're told to pay by organizations that, you would hope, have the artist's best interests in mind. Complicating things is that each streamer negotiates on their own. So let's say that your song is posted on all the platforms and it gets 100 listens. Spotify will pay out about 40 US cents. Apple Music, 50 cents, the same as Amazon Music. Deezer, the French company, will pay 47 cents, while YouTube hands over just 18 cents. And SoundCloud, 13 cents. The outlier in this case is Tidal, which might pay as much as $1.20 for those 100 listens. But again, we don't know for sure because the whole system is very, very opaque, even for the artist. And I'm not done. If you get your song played once on Spotify, the payout is somewhere around six-tenths of a cent. So that means 100 plays should be worth 60 cents. But hang on. Spotify has two tiers for customers. There's the subscription tier where people pay like $9.99 a month. And then there's the free tier where people don't pay in exchange for less functionality and the inclusion of commercials. Spotify separates payments from those two tiers. One gets revenue from subscriptions, and the other gets revenue from advertising. Anything streamed on the ad-supported tier pays out less than what comes from the subscription side. That's why instead of $0.60 per 100 plays, the payout is $0.40. Okay, you still with me? Okay, good, because it gets weirder still. Before any payouts reach the artist, it has to pass through the artist's label, and the label deducts their share first. And that can be a lot. How much does a typical label deduct from that already small payout? We don't know. It depends on the deal each artist has. However, a little research shows that whatever the artist does get, it's almost always less than the 10% that they got from the sale of a CD. So remember our hypothetical situation where an artist got a dollar from a CD that sold wholesale for 10? That's your 10%. Okay, let's go back to those 100 streams of your song, which is estimated, and I have to stress that, it's estimated to be 40 cents. At the high end of things, that means Spotify paid out $4 for those streams. So where did the remaining $3.60 go? Who deducted that? Well, labels and publishers, they go first. Whatever's left goes to the artist. And think about that the next time you don't pay for a streaming music service and go with a freemium tier. Uh, hate to say it, but you're kind of part of the problem. This album has cumulatively 1.5 billion streams on Spotify. That's about 6 million US dollars. And if Green Day gets their 10%, their earnings are $600,000. I think I'm right. But again, okay. More points about the world of streaming coming up next. This is a program that looks at some of the finer points of the world of streaming music. And here is point number 12. 
Around 85% of all revenues for music labels comes from streaming. 85%. After being dragged into the streaming era, kicking and screaming, record labels now love it. Piracy is down, consumer adoption is up, and the revenues get bigger and bigger every single quarter. Some of that is due to cost savings. Yeah, CD sales are down, but that's okay. Labels would be thrilled if CDs disappeared tomorrow. That would mean no more manufacturing and warehousing and transporting and chasing down retailers to get paid. No more leaks, no more lost shipments, no more bad debts from record stores that go out of business. Revenues for the global recorded music industry still haven't recovered to where they were at the peak at around 2000 and 2001, but they've rebounded very nicely, all because of streaming. But then there's point 13. The big record labels hold equity positions in Spotify. This has been an excellent investment. The market for the global recorded music business is around $22 billion. The market value of Spotify, as I wrote this program, was about $250 billion. This means these labels are making money from Spotify's streaming business, and they're making exponentially more on Spotify as an investment. Point number 14 has to do with revenue. Again, we're talking about Spotify because they're A, the streaming service with the most users, and B, they're also standalone. Streaming is Spotify's only business. Apple Music is supported by Apple, the most valuable company in the world. Amazon Music has, well, Amazon. YouTube has Google. Spotify is also a publicly traded company, which means their business dealings have to be revealed on a regular basis, something that Apple and Google and Amazon don't have to do with their streaming platforms. They just mention it as part of the big mix. In 2020, Spotify paid out about $5 billion U.S. dollars to rights holders. That's just for one year. About two-thirds of all the money that comes into the door at Spotify has to be paid out. And because of the way the licensing deals with the rights holders are structured, Spotify's expenses increase in lockstep with their revenues. So there is no way for them to increase their profit margins. In fact, for years, there was no profit. And you can't run a business like that. However, Spotify has started to make a little money. At the end of the first quarter of 2021, they reported an operating profit of 15 million euros. And a major way they're doing that is by getting into the podcast business. Now, Spotify wants to be all things audio to all people, not just music, but all audio. That includes podcasts. Spotify is a free distribution platform for podcasters, and they are now the second most used podcast platform in the world with somewhere around 3 million of them. Podcasts are a way to keep people listening to Spotify without incurring the cost of playing music. If Spotify can get 15 or 20 or 25% of their overall user base spending their time listening to podcasts, that means 15 or 20 or 25% less in music royalties they have to pay out. So this explains why the company is willing to pay huge dollars for exclusive rights to programs like the Joe Rogan Experience. They also make money from something called sponsored recommendation campaigns. This is when artists and labels pay to have their music promoted to listeners. If that sounds like a form of payola, well, there are those who will agree. Others say it's no different than when a record label pays to have a display at a record store, but we're going to leave that for another time. I want to talk a little bit more about how revenues get paid out in just a sec. First, though, here's an album that's had about 1.2 billion streams.
Before we wrap up part one of this deep dive into the streaming universe, I want to go back to how the streaming services pay out artists. And again, we'll use Spotify as an example. This will be point 15. If you are an artist, you might expect that if someone streams your song, that that person will pay for that stream and the money from that person will eventually make it to you. That's not how it works. Spotify pays artists based on their percentage of overall streams. Users are charged a fixed rate, let's call it 10 bucks a month. And if Drake, let's say, gets X percent of streams in a given month, he gets X percent of the money that comes in. So that means artists who aren't Drake have to compete with him and all the other big top 40 stars for scraps of revenue. The effect is that artists with small and loyal fan bases get squeezed out. Now, let's say you're a jazz fan and you like streaming Miles Davis. Jazz is a nice genre on Spotify. But it means that your subscription money isn't going to whoever owns the rights to Miles' music. It goes into a big pot, which is then divided up amongst everyone based on the percentage of streams that they have had during that month. And by the time the Drakes of the world get paid, there's nothing left for Miles Davis. And it gets worse. In the old days, Miles Davis fans would go out and buy a CD or a vinyl album. That's not happening anymore, so that revenue is basically gone. Musicians that used to have a small but loyal fan base are now making next to nothing. And meanwhile, the pop stars keep making more because of the way music is collected and how payouts are calculated. We'll get deeper into that issue in part two. First, though, some Blink-182 from an album that's got 1.4 billion streams. And that's about the time she walked away from me. Nobody likes you when you're 23. And you still act like you're a freshman year. What the hell is wrong with me? My friends say I should act my age. The way the streaming universe works is complex, opaque, and occasionally very weird. On part two of this program, we're going to go even deeper into how streaming works. We'll look at things like audio quality, metadata, and how the user data collected from people like you and me are changing the very nature of how music is made. If this program didn't change the way you viewed streaming, just wait. All ongoing history shows are available as podcasts on all the usual platforms. Just download and go. Please rate and review if you get a chance, and please spread the word if you are able. You're always welcome to join me on my website, which is a ajournalofmusicalthings.com. It's updated with music news and information and opinion every single day, including Christmas. Get the free daily newsletter, too. I mean, why not? I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Give me a follow if you can, and I'll do my best to keep you entertained and informed. Email can go to alan at alancross.ca. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. See you for part two of Things You Might Not Realize About Streaming. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts.